Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good. It's good to be here with you all. Well, I had a great time this weekend. I was uh, up here. Uh, Pastor David invited me to come up and, uh, and, and many other people from just uh, campus ministry uh, ministries on HBCU campuses and just even outside of that, they come and receive training and encouragement and hang out. And we stayed way, uh, way too late at his house and, and probably held him up. Um, and we, we, just had a, we just had a great time of just fellowship and encouragement. So uh, thank you all for your hospitality, and thank you for uh, having me here this morning to be able to worship with you all and to share in the fellowship of God's word. So uh, if you could turn with me to John chapter 4, John chapter 4, starting at verse 27. I'm Cyril Chavis. I am the RU of Campus Minister at Howard University, and I have been there for a couple years. Uh, my wife is here with me as well, and uh, our, our uh, minister in training, Jason, and so it's, it's a joy for us to be up here to, to fellowship with y'all. Um, all right, again, John chapter 4, verse 27. This is a gospel account. It's kind of towards the back of your Bible. So on my Bible, it's page 888, so um, it just, yeah, if you keep flipping, you'll, you'll find it. John, a gospel account is a account, a historical account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They aren't fairy tales. This is history. It's good history. And John, uh, John tells us about Jesus. He introduces him poetically, and then he tells us about how Jesus is, is identified by John the Baptist as the coming king. Jesus picks his disciples. He has some conversations with them. He has a few other conversations, and now we're right in the middle of another conversation. In John 4, he's talking with a Samaritan woman, and they're standing by a well, and as Jesus likes to do, he uses his scenery to teach about himself. And the woman is saying, you know, are, are you greater than our forefather Jacob, whose well does belong to? And Jesus is basically like, yes, I am, and I give living water. And now we are uh, towards the end of their conversation. Jesus' disciples are out in town buying bread for him. All right, it's John chapter 4, verse 27. I'll read it, pray for us, and we'll dive in. Just then his disciples came back. <clears throat> they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or, why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I send you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior 
of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, we're thankful to be here this morning. Lord, we ask that you would continue to minister to us. Lord, we've sung to you. Lord, we've prayed to you. We've had fellowship and encouragement, mutual encouragement. Lord, we've confessed our sins and received an assurance of forgiveness. And Lord, now we come to a time where we hear from you. Lord, we ask that you would be in the midst, that you would accomplish your work and what you've come to do by the power of your spirit. Holy Spirit, would you fill this place and rest in this place as you already have been? But will we feel your influence upon us even greater? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me, that I might be bold and courageous, compassionate, that I might speak with conviction and humility on your behalf. Lord, you have sent me to be an ambassador, a representative of your kingdom. So, Lord, I pray just that, that once again, uh, the kingdom would come in this place as people bow their knee to you. Lord, I ask that you would open the hearts of your hearers. I ask that, Holy Spirit, you would fill them as well, that they might be able to listen, and not only just listen as an exercise and as a routine, but, Lord, that they would open their hearts and receive your word with faith and love. Lord, I ask that it would sink deep into them, into their bones, into their hearts. Lord, that they might be transformed even now as as you work. Lord, I ask that they wouldn't just be good hearers of your word. Lord, they would be good doers of your word. Lord, I pray that we leave this place different. We leave this place with a renewed zeal. Lord, and an updated commitment to you. Lord, I ask that we would... Not forget the words that have been said today. Lord, I pray that we will put them into practice. Lord, if anything comes out of my mouth that is not of you, I pray we'll wither away and be forgotten forever. Lord, and if anything comes out of my mouth that is of you, I pray it would stick and it would yield fruit into eternity. Lord, we love you. Amen. So there's a term nowadays that describes a very serious condition. It can cause emotional strife, turmoil. It can cause friendships to break up. Some of y'all might be thinking, okay, obviously this term is sin. Yes, that is. But the term I'm talking about is different. I'm talking about FOMO. Have y'all heard of FOMO? F-O-M-O, the fear of missing out. FOMO can look like many different things. It can look like you're on IG and you see this cool event going on and you can't go because you got to babysit or you got to watch the kids or you just have work. It could look like um, there's, there's this uh, thing that your friends are going to and you, you, you know they're going and you didn't get the text message and you're sitting at home and you're like, oh man, like I'm missing out on something amazing. And that's what FOMO is, is that distressing feeling when you realize that something amazing is going on and you're missing out. Family FOMO can be painful, but I think that sometimes the church has an opposite problem, that Jesus is up to something amazing. 
He is reaching the nations. He is uh, inviting people into his kingdom to experience renewal and to come from death to life. But we have no fear of missing out sometimes. We don't feel that distressing feeling when Jesus is leaving to do something amazing and we aren't with him. And so I want to uh, inspire some kingdom FOMO in us today. Is that all right? So the main point for our time today is Jesus is on a mission. Are you with him? Jesus is on a mission. Are you with him? And I want to look at three things about Jesus' mission uh, to see how beautiful and amazing it is. And I want us to get fired up to get on mission with Jesus. So the first thing, Jesus' mission is scandalous. Jesus' mission is scandalous. So in the first few verses, as I've said, the disciples are out buying bread. They come back and they see Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman. And they're standing on the side being awkward. And they're like, like, what is Jesus doing talking with this woman? You know, and really this reveals some of the prejudices uh, that were in the kind of thought streams of that day. Uh, Many people thought that it was taboo for a rabbi to be speaking with a woman. A rabbi was a Jewish teacher. At best, it was a distraction from his duties. And at worst, it was a spiritual danger. So like, why is Jesus talking with this woman? He's talking with her alone. And not only that, but she, uh, she is a kind of social outsider because of her history of sexual sin, as we, we saw, in, in, as, as you will see in the previous verses if you read those. But then not only that, but she's a Samaritan. Samaritans did not hang out with Jews. In fact, when Jesus asked her if she could pour him a, a, um, some water, she said, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. We don't do that. Why? Because the Jews thought that Samaritans were kind of like half-blooded Jews with a bootleg version of their religion, basically. And so there's like, why is Jesus not only talking with a woman, but he's also talking with a Samaritan? What Jesus was doing would have been a scandal to that day. Now you're like, a scandal, what is that? A scandal is basically something that causes public outrage by a breaking of current day customs or norms held in in a culture. What Jesus would have been doing would have been scandalous to many of his peers. And what he is showing us is that his mission reaches across the divisions and barriers that the world has set up. And his kingdom uh, has a different way of being. Jesus' mission reaches across sexes. He invites both men and women into his kingdom and affirms their equality as co-heirs in his kingdom. This would have been scandalous to some Jews. Jesus' mission reaches across race and class. Jesus invites Jews and Samaritans into his kingdom as co-citizens. This would have been scandalous. Jesus' mission reaches across social lines. This woman was a social outcast, but Jesus invites her in. This would have been scandalous for a religious teacher to do. Jesus' mission reaches across political lines. He invites people from different provinces, different, different uh, political parties of that day, and different uh, backgrounds and different nations, and he is inviting them into his kingdom to bow the knee to his lordship. So uh, my wife and I, when we first got married, we went to this mosaic shop. Have you ever done mosaic artwork? Um, where basically you have like a piece of wood and you have all these different kinds of things. There's different containers. Some have like pieces of plastic, glass, bullet shell casings, broken jewelry, beads, whatever. And your job is to create a piece of artwork with all of the different kind of pieces that are there. 
And so we sat down and, 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 and we're gluing pieces down to make this big C. Our last name is Chavis. And this is what the mission of God is like. God is sitting down and he looks over the world and he sees all of these people divided into containers of division. And, and, and isn't this like our world that we get with people who are just like us and we look at the people in the other containers who aren't like us and we dive deeper into fear and, uh, uh, and, and, and worry and anxiety over the people who aren't like us? And we go deeper in our own little containers. But what God is doing is he's sitting down and he takes people from all different containers and he's gluing them down on his piece of artwork. He's taking uh, black folks and white folks and Asian Americans and Hispanic Americans and he's gluing them down. He's taking men and women and he's gluing them down. He's taking the rich and the poor and he's gluing them down. He's taking people from all types of political theories and backgrounds and he's gluing them down. He's taking people from all over and he's gluing them down to create a beautiful piece of art. And he is not only doing this in our backyard, but he's doing this all across the world. God desires to bridge ethnic divisions. In Ethiopia, he's taking Oromo and Tigray and Amhara, and he's gluing them down. He is bridging class divisions. In Argentina, God desires to take the indigenous and those of European descent and glue them down. In Haiti, God desires to take the upper class and the lower class and glue them down. And he bridges language divisions. In Canada, God desires to take English speakers and French speakers and glue them down. God desires to do this over the whole world. And God doesn't just save individuals. Did y'all know that? I know we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus, but your relationship with Jesus isn't personal. It's connected with a community of believers who you are in covenant with and invested with. God desires to bring a people to himself. And not only that, Jesus desires to have the whole universe unite under his lordship. There's certain passages in the Bible where it talks about like, you know, in every knee shall bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth. And you're like, under the earth? What's under the earth? And it's like Jesus is calling the whole universe to submit and unite under his lordship. And if that's true, present age divisions that are of Satan are a problem. Jesus wants to unite us under new creation unity. And that's what's going on here. He went to Samaria for a reason. He took the long way where they were going for a reason. And here's the thing. Aren't we sometimes like his disciples? We got these, 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 these people in places that we're like, it's cool if Jesus goes and talks to them, but I ain't talking to them. It's cool if Jesus or somebody else brings the gospel. I ain't bringing the gospel though. We have all types of prides and prejudices and insecurities and doubts and hangups and we're scared and we're worried and Jesus ain't scared. Jesus ain't worried. Praise God, Jesus is insecure. (laughs) And Jesus is ministering to us and wants to meet us in those places and he wants to lead us. He says, come with me. So not only is Jesus' mission scandalous, Jesus' mission is urgent. Jesus' mission is urgent. Now, I know when I just said urgent, some of y'all got a little anxiety because you're like, man, in life, if something is urgent, it's because it depends on me, right? Or something bad will happen. But guess what? Jesus' mission doesn't depend on you. He doesn't need you, frankly. He'll get it done without you. 
Jesus' mission rests on his shoulders. The burden is on him. It's urgent because it's amazing. It's like someone calls you and tells you, hey, I just secured two weeks of paid leave for you and two weeks of an all-expense paid vacation in Disney World. All you got to do is go. It's urgent not because something bad is about to happen. It's urgent because something amazing is about to happen. You need to jump in ASAP. It's like there's an all-star basketball team and they're in the championship game and you really want to get on the court, not because you're afraid your team is going to lose. It is because you want to hop into something amazing. You want to be a part of that winning team. It rests on Jesus' shoulders and is urgent because we want to hop in. And Jesus kind of shows us the urgency in this passage. Uh, he shows us it's urgent because it's ready. In verse 35, he, he uses a popular saying, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. And then in verse 37, he says, one sows and another reaps. So the saying, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Ooh, I, I forgot to mention this. Also, uh, yeah, so I forgot to mention this. So, the, so when the disciples pulled up, uh, the Samaritan woman, she goes to the town and she is telling people, hey, I met this prophet who I think might be the Messiah, uh, the, 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 the end time savior. Y'all come and check him out. So you got the whole town coming on the horizon and Jesus' disciples are there like messing things up and being awkward. And Jesus is like, okay, let me school y'all. Like here's the disciples who have been a part of the Jesus school of mission for, you know, I don't know how long, a long time. They've been following Jesus around, uh, getting in with Jesus. And here's this woman who's had one conversation with Jesus and she's already got a whole harvest coming. And Jesus is like, like, okay, guys, let's go over this again. Let me tell you about harvest this time. And so he says, uh, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. So the four months talks about there's a time span in between when you put the seed in the ground and when you get the food. And Jesus is saying, look what's happening. People are coming on the horizon. I sowed and there's no time in between. It is here right now. Hop in is urgent because it's ready. And then he says, one sows and another reaps. Basically, he's talking about how agriculture is a team sport. Uh, but Jesus is saying, look, I'm a one man band. I'm the one who sowed and the, the, the town is coming and I need y'all to hop in. Y'all didn't contribute anything. Just hop in. Y'all, this is how it is with us, isn't it? This is how it is. We don't contribute anything but probably our awkwardness to Jesus' mission. And Jesus invites us to take courage and hop in with him because it's ready. And doesn't the Bible tell us this? In Matthew 16, uh, Jesus tells us that he will advance his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus is the one who will move the ball down the court, not us. And then he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is setting up the good works. God is opening the doors. God is preparing the relationships that, that, that will lead to his glory. And not only that, but we don't even provide the energy and the desire and the ability. It's the spirit that does that. In Philippians chapter two, verse 13, it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's like, the spirit is the one who even does it all. And then not only that, when's the last time you breathed on somebody and they were born again? I don't know about you, but it doesn't work like that for me. But it works like that for God. He's the one who brings new life. He's the one who transforms people. We can do nothing without him. 
It is all him. The burden rests on his shoulders. It's urgent because it's ready. Not only that, it's urgent because it's joyful. The disciples come back from the store, from Kroger, and they're like, hey, you know, we, we got you some food, Jesus. I know you're hungry. Sit down and eat. And he's basically saying, uh, yo, I'm not hungry anymore. And they're like, yo, did somebody get Jesus some food? What's going on? And he's like, no, the Father's will fills me up. I want y'all to think about your favorite meal, that meal where, you, you know, you get full and, 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 and you know, you, you can probably skip dinner, right? For me, that's duck sausage with pork cracklings. I remember when I had that, I was like, mm, this might be my favorite meal. Uh, what's that meal for you? Jesus is saying that's what it's like to be on mission with God. It fills you up. It's satisfying. You're not hungry anymore. That is what Jesus' mission is. It's satisfying. But not only that, but Jesus uses harvest festival in, uh, language when he talks about his mission. Uh, he basically tells them um, in the verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Now, we don't think about this often because, you know, we, 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 you know, we got Kroger and Food Line and everything. So we don't like actually think about the fact that someone has to grow it. But they had harvest festivals when there was harvest because they're like, yeah, we're not going to die this year. We got food, right? And so that's why they would have parties. That's what the harvest is like in Jesus' kingdom. When people are coming to Jesus, we celebrate. We rejoice because Jesus is bringing in a harvest. And could it be that as we're walking the Christian walk, and, you know, we might be going through a spiritual dry spot. We might be going through a plateau. Could it be that we are leaving joy and satisfaction on the table because we are not engaging in Jesus' mission in risky and costly ways? Could it be that Jesus is inviting us to hop in and we're telling him I'll hop in when I'm ready or hop in when it's convenient or hop in when it's comfortable? But Jesus is inviting you to hop in right now to receive the satisfaction and joy of laboring with him and seeing him work. But lastly, Jesus' mission is successful. Not only is it urgent, it is successful. So uh, we see here what happens after the woman goes back to the town. They bring uh, the Samaritans. Imagine they greet Jesus and, hey, man, will you come hang out with us? And he's like, sure. So he and his disciples, they go back to the town and they hang out for a couple days. They had already believed because of what the woman said, but they're like, Jesus, you know, not only do we believe, but now that we see your lips move and we see it from you, we believe. So there's a lot of strange things going on in this town. Jews and Samaritans, remember, they don't hang out. Now the Jews are probably staying in Samaritan homes. Imagine they're eating together. The Samaritans are learning from a Jewish rabbi. A lot of weird things are going on in this town. Not only that, but this woman who was a social outsider who then becomes a spiritual insider because of her encounter with Jesus, goes back to the people who ostracized her, who are spiritual outsiders, but social insiders, and she brings them to Jesus so that they be can become spiritual insiders. There's a lot of weird things going on in this town. She becomes a missionary to her enemies. Well, enemies might be a strong word, but she becomes a missionary to people uh, with whom she's on the fringes. And then not only that, they don't call Jesus the Messiah, which would have been the, the common Jewish word for the end time savior. 
uh, the, the David-like king. And they don't call Jesus the Tehev, which was a Samaritan word for the Moses-like restorer of all things. They call Jesus the savior of the world. Now, you might be like, okay, what's going on with that? We, we talk about it often in Christian kind of, um, in Christianese, like Christian lingo. But this uh, title only occurs two times in the Bible. It occurs here, and I believe in 1 John. This is a title, I think, that has significance. They're saying Jesus isn't just the Jewish Savior, and he's not just a Samaritan Savior. He is the Savior of the world. Jews and Samaritans, insiders, outsiders, united together in this town, united around their common concern for Jesus' lordship, which will restore all things. Jesus' mission is a success, and it will always be a success because he has all authority and power in his hands. But lastly, I think there's something else interesting about this text. In uh, chapter 4, verse 5, it says that uh, all this occurred at a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So I think they were talking about water imagery because in Jacob's story, wells play a big role. Uh, and basically the woman is, is basically like, are you greater than our father Jacob who, who gave water out of this well? And he's basically like, yeah, I am greater than Jacob. I am the living water. I give living water. And then uh, this field is also associated with, jo- with, with Joseph, who was the Lord of the harvest. Now, if you don't know um, about Joseph, Joseph was one of the 12 sons of Jacob, and his brother sold him into slavery because they were jealous because he was the favorite son. He was sold into slavery in Egypt, and then while he was there, the Lord was blessing him, but then things get even worse because he's uh, wrongly accused of sexual assault, and so he's thrown into prison. And there, the Lord is still blessing him, and he gets two cellmates, and they um, have dreams, and Joseph interprets their dreams, and in in, in his prophetic uh, interpretation of the dreams come true. And so one of the cellmates, he goes and he gets restored back to Pharaoh's royal court. And Joseph says, when you get there, remember me and tell, tell Pharaoh about me. But guess what? The guy forgot him. And so years later, um, Pharaoh has a scary dream. And it was basically a dream from the Lord. And it was telling Pharaoh that bad things are about to happen. And so uh, Pharaoh says, who can interpret this dream? And Joseph's buddy was like, oh, I had a, had a friend when I was in prison. Let, let's bring him. and He can interpret the dream. So they, 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 give, David, uh, they give Joseph a haircut and, and then they bring him before Pharaoh. And basically, Joseph interprets the dream. He said, there's going to be seven years of plenty. We're going to have tons of food. We're going to have a harvest. And there's going to be seven years of famine. And it's going to be like never before. And we have to save up so that we can live. And Pharaoh says this, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. And the Bible tells us that Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it for it could not be measured. You see, Jesus is not only greater than Jacob, which is why they were talking about water. But I think they shift to harvest imagery because Jesus is also greater than Joseph. He's the true and better Joseph, the Lord of the harvest. You see, uh, Joseph was gathering in a harvest of grain that could not be numbered. But Jesus is gathering in a harvest of people. The revelation tells us a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages. 
You see, Joseph was reaping for seven years and then came seven years of famine. But Jesus will not stop reaping until the end of the age. The harvest will not stop. You see, Joseph's faith and administrative genius blessed the nations around him. But Jesus' own faithfulness and kingly reign will bless not only nations around him, but every crevice of the universe. And you see, Joseph's brothers, the heads of the tribes of Israel, bowed down to Joseph because God made him Lord of Egypt. But here's the thing. Uh, God has bestowed upon Jesus the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. And you see, Joseph himself went through prison in order to be in the position to gather the harvest. But Jesus himself went through death in order to be in the position to gather in the harvest. He is not only the gatherer of the harvest. He is the seed that makes the harvest possible. John chapter 12 says this, Jesus said to to, to the people around him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He was speaking of his death. And then he says a few verses later, later, he says, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Just as a grain must die in order to bring in a harvest, Jesus died to bring in the great end time last days harvest of which we are a part of. And that's why we're sitting here. We are proof that Jesus is bringing in a harvest. You are the harvest. Family, Jesus is inviting you into this mission. The mission is urgent. The mission is scandalous. And the mission is successful. And he invites you to be on his winning team. Will you join him? Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are the Lord of the harvest. You are at work right now bringing in the nations. In every place, you are up to something that rubs against the grain of culture. Lord, I pray that we would see that right here in in, in Colombia. Lord, we would see that you bridge the divisions that the enemy has created. Lord, but I pray that your new creation reality would bring unity around you and your throne. Lord, I ask that you would push us in deeper into mission. Would you call us in deeper? Even when it hurts, even when we look funny, Even when people ask, what's going on? Even when it costs us our money. Even when it might cost us our popular name. I ask that we would give it all for you, Jesus. Lord, I ask that in the midst of that, even when the church becomes a scandalous present and turns things upside down like it did in the book of Acts, Lord, I pray that we would have satisfaction and joy that we would say we're not hungry anymore because we're doing our Father's will. Our Father's will is our food. Lord, I pray that with Jesus, we would see funny things going on. We would see people who normally wouldn't hang out, hang out together, united around their concern for Jesus. And we would see Jesus 
his name believed in the most unlikely of places, both in the most likely and the most unlikely of places. Lord, I ask that we would take courage and hop in and labor with you. In Christ's name, amen.